0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
1: details. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. And this week, the last podcast of the year, we're going to be looking back at the year. I'm here with Phil Yates. Uh, I'm Dave Hender, by the way. Um, of course, Phil, we don't have, we don't sort of normally... Talk in terms of years, we talk in terms of seasons But it's been an interesting 2021, it started of course With everything behind closed doors as we know Felt quite strange to have the Masters Which has always been about the crowd in London Behind closed doors But it it ended on a high with a great story Yan Bing Tao winning the tournament Well it was The fact he won the
0: tournament And also how he won it He won three really really close finishes To get to the final And then everyone assumed the The vast experience of John Higgins would prevail in the final, but Jan came good. My abiding memory of that Masters is, of course, Jan's very big break, which was a superb effort. But also, that one frame, I believe it was against Neil Robertson, where every single colour was on the cushion. It was the most bizarre frame, and although Jan's lead wasn't substantial in terms of the actual numbers... You thought, there's no way Robertson could win this frame. It really was one of the
1: the most uh, unusual, unconventional frames I think I've ever seen. Yeah, and you saw in those two instances, you saw the two sides of him. You saw that ultra-tactician when he had to be, when he got in front in a frame, he knew how to close it down, you know, and not everyone of his age has that skill. And then, as you say, against Maguire, one with a 1-4-1 one one in, the, in the deciding frame, his highest break, beat Bingham in a decider, and John Higgins... I mean, he had chances in that final and he, he missed a few, but Yan Bingtao, he had won a ranking event, of course, he won the Riga Masters, but this is such a, a huge event. To sort of, to stand tall, it's sort of, we'll talk obviously later about Xiao Tong. but in a way the year is sort of bookended by the, the authentic rise now of young Chinese talent. Yeah, as a neutral who wants
0: to see the growth of the game worldwide, I think Yan Bingtao winning the Masters was a really, really good thing, because obviously... And you can't deny this, Ding is on the decline. Let's hope that he can reverse that decline and get back where he was. But he is on the decline at the moment. And so the the interest in China, there was a chance it could have possibly waned. But then along came Yan. Now, he's not a a one-hit wonder, as you say. He'd won a ranking event before. In fact, he came very, very close to breaking Ronnie O'Sullivan's record as the youngest ever ranking event winner. And when he was 15 years of age, in partnership with uh, Zhou Yulong, for China, B they won the World Cup, so he'd done things before. But to win that Masters, I think it showed that for Chinese snooker sake, it isn't just a one man show. Ding isn't the only
1: game in town in terms of potential tournament winners. Yeah, and that's uh, significant. Hopefully, for when we do go back to China, the German Masters was not in Germany; it was also in Milton Keynes. The final was a out. Trump beat Lazowski nine two. The the key sort of match for Trump was the semi final. He was five one down to Barry Hawkins. And he played what was voted online the shot of the season. I'm sure people have seen that greeny potted. Um, I mean, it, you know, it was inconsequential in terms of that the frame was well won, of course. But he said it got him going and it, it went viral and all the rest of it. Um, and it got, he got through to the final and then overwhelmed Jack. And it was another, just another title. He seemed to spend more time than anyone in Milton Keynes, did last year. Yeah, I think he enjoyed it. And of course, at the time, he was on a, a,
0: a really good streak. Just going back to that semi-final with Hawkins, Barry's a great match player, but he has occasionally lost matches in big tournaments from well ahead, most notably when he was 5-0 up on Nigel Bond in the UK Championship and was beaten 6-5. Now, losing 6-5 from 5-0 up, as you know, Dave, is a real rarity, so there was that seed of doubt in his mind as Trump came back at him. And, of course, Trump can reel off frames very quickly, as Ronnie O'Sullivan did at the World Grand Prix recently so that was quite intimidating with regard to the shot i'm not a great one for picking out individual shots it wasn't the most important shot of the year it was wasn't the most important shot of the the match or even the frame but i will say for me it was the most spectacular shot i've ever seen ever it was just brilliant and it definitely
1: deserved to be voted shot of the season definitely I just, I've just got the frame scores up here. So Hawkins, he went five one up with 140 in that sixth frame. Trump had 131, 130, hundred. Three three successive frames. So Barry already is bang under it, thinking he's going to you know be one visit every frame. It wasn't quite like that in the last two, but yeah, you know, it, it underlined, you know, his dominance of, of of tournaments that you know, okay, they're not regarded as the absolute blue ribbon, but you know, they're all worth winning, and 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 he won that one, and we'll come on to. Another success of his in a a moment. But uh, the next one, again, Milton Keynes, um, the shootout. Now, that was a strange event. I talked about the Masters, um, and we missed the crowds there. But the shootout has always been about crowd interaction. I mean, actually, it's one of the reasons some people don't like it. It's because the crowd gets a bit leery and a bit drunk at times. Um, But it was a big win for Ryan Day. You know, Ryan was was cascading down the ranking list. Uh, He needed something. And I'm sure he would be honest to say he needed the money as well. You know, uh, the 50,000 was a real tonic, but what was interesting for me, you know, Ryan Day is one of those people you think, yeah, he's a kind of shootout player in a way, Mark Selby getting to the final, that was interesting, because you would not associate him with that format. No, I
0: think it goes to prove that what they say about the shootout is correct, literally anything can happen. Uh, Selby, not suited to it as you say, but it was a very useful source of world ranking points, and he came very close to winning it. The other thing they say about the shootout, which is incorrect, is that anyone can win it. And you look at the role of honour, and that's proved completely incorrect. Because what you've got is a a set of players. Okay, it might not be the elite players, but they're all very, very capable, that role of honour, the, the past winners. They're all maybe former top 16 players, but players you know are extremely capable. And with Ryan Day, definitely fits the bill. The likes of Martin Gould, Dominic Dale. Michael Holt, the
1: Mm. the previous year. They all fit into that strata, don't they? No, I mean, listen, I've commented on it the last few years. There's definitely people who cannot win it because they're they're pretty clueless about the tactics and they panic and, you know, you need to keep a cool head. Um, Of course, it'll be in Leicester, fingers crossed, uh, in 2022. Now then, really, one of the stories of the year was the Welsh Open, which was in Wales. We went to the Celtic Manor in Newport. And no crowd again, but it was played in Wales. (coughs) Jordan Brown, I mean... (laughs) Not not just to win it. That's a, that's a big story in itself. He was down in the 80s in the rankings. But the last three matches, he beat Mark Selby. He beat Stephen Maguire. And, of course, in the final, he beat Ronnie O'Sullivan. Well, the Mark
0: Selby match was just so thrilling, wasn't it? It was right down to the wire. Then, of course, beating Stephen Maguire is no mean feat. He's a real class act Maguire. I will say this. People often ask me, you know, what's the biggest shock you've ever seen in snooker? And it's very difficult to quantify and... Of course, it's all subjective. I would definitely say that Jordan Brown winning that final against O'Sullivan was the biggest shock to me in a final. Okay, people might say Joe Johnson beating Steve Davis in 86, but Johnson was a a member of the top 16 at the time and a very capable sort who played some lovely snooker to get there. Jordan was, apart from people who are really in the know with snooker, to the general sporting public, pretty much unknown, and to beat such two big names to get to the final and then overcome O'Sullivan, who was desperate to win it, I think that was just a monumental upset, don't you, Dave? Totally. Uh,
1: yeah, and, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, had, it been, had that been the first event that played behind closed doors, people would have said, oh, well, you know, there's no crowd, so it's a leveller. But every other event had been won by a top player. So he definitely deserved it. The, the win over Selby was a sort of last gasp fall over the line job but against Maguire he came out first frame made a massive break played brilliantly actually it was probably his best performance was in that match and then against O'Sullivan stood tall he made a break to win it in the decider um you know it, just fantastic actually to see that and that, that will inspire and has inspired a lot of players down the list who will say listen it can happen you know things the stars can align he won I think five deciders in seven matches um I'm sure Roadies look at times as well but Great, great win for a great guy. Jordan's a real snooker lover. You know, he ordered the Crucible Almanac. That, that'll tell you how much he loves snooker. And it was great to see. And people have said, oh, well, you know, he's not really backed it up since. Listen, give him a chance. It's actually only his fourth season on tour, that was. I know he's in his 30s, but he spent a long time off tour. He was working in that petrol station. And I think even Ronnie O'Sullivan fans, who are quite diehard, as we know, were happy for him. Because, you know, he put all the, all the hard yards in. And good luck to him.
0: He was working at that petrol station, and it was just his luck that Alan Partridge never came in for a ginster's. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I was going to say exactly the same thing. It's irrelevant, really, isn't it, what the, the personality of a, of a player is when they win a tournament. They've won it, and that's, that's great for them. But Jordan really is a good guy, and he loves his snooker. A little story about Milton Keynes. When you're behind closed doors in those bubbles... Obviously, it's quite a a community, even more so than normal. And I remember one occasion I was in the commentary box prepping for that day. And uh, the door opened. There it was, Jordan. He said, do you mind if I borrow your almanac? And he Mm. went away for half an hour looking at all of those arcane stats about the
1: Crucible. And I'm thinking, he's my kind of guy. He's one one of us. Um, Now, arguably, the performance of the year in a tournament came at the Players' Championship. Again, we were back at Milton Keynes. John Higgins uh, lost four frames. (laughs) But not only that, I mean... (laughs) In terms of an all-round display, match play, you know, good safety, heavy scoring as well, made loads of breaks, you'd struggle to see anything better than that, wouldn't you? Dave, I did, don't very
0: often disagree with you, but I think the word arguably was <laughs> redundant. That was the best performance, not of the season, not of the year. That's the best performance to win a tournament I've ever seen, ever. Just not even close. I mean, the guy was simply sensational, of course. Jordan had just won the Welsh Open. He came to the Players' Championship, it was a bit of a baptism of fire for him. Higgins beat him 6-0, but the match we'll always remember was the match against Mark Selby next time out. Selby. Now, I have to sort of say this out loud to remind myself. Selby scored in that match to lose 6-0. Seven points. Mathematically, what are the odds of that? I mean, that, to me, is close to a million to one. And what people don't remember is that in his next match against
1: Caron Wilson, he went 4-0 up and pretty much did the same thing to Wilson. I remember uh, uh, the fourth frame, I was in the media centre because I was waiting to go on and commentate after the interval. And Higgins, say was 51 in front with 43 on. OK, so Selby needed a couple of snookers already. And Higgins had potted a red and... He was close to the black. He could have potted it to the yellow pocket, or he could roll up to it. That's what we were saying. What's he going to do? He's going to pot it to the yellow pocket, <clears throat> or roll up to it. What he did was he put it on the side cushion. <laughs> He's saying, right, this the shop shut. You're not coming in. The shutters are down. You know, that's it. And and then of course in the final against O'Sullivan, I think he knew he had to score heavily, and he did. And it, it was incredible. when all because he kind of moved his, his his hand closer to the to the white. Right. That seemed to be what he said. Well, after that tournament, he went up to a slab of
0: granite and said, you're quite soft, aren't you? <laughs> it was just the most extraordinary thing I've seen. Actually, of course, again, it was a, a behind-closed-door scenario, and we were all leaving the, uh, the hotel at Milton Keynes, and I went to my room, unpacked, and went to my car, and on the way out, there he was waiting for the lift, John, and it was... Away from the cameras, it was away from all the media room and all that kind of stuff. And what you must remember about John is he's such a modest individual. Mm. And I said to him, "John, that's the best I've ever seen you play." And he said, "Yeah, it was." Yeah. Now he knew I wasn't going to sort of, you know, he praise on him like you know just for no reason. It was just the truth. He played absolutely brilliantly that week. I can't imagine he could play any better. I can't imagine
1: anyone could play any better. Absolutely. Although, having said that, of course, the next event, Gibraltar Open, which again was in Milton Keynes, uh, Judd Trump actually only lost three frames. And, and that, he, he seems to be the master of the best of seven. You know, he'd won that event the year before. They're all best of seven, those, uh, matches. He had a, he had a great run against Matt Selt in the semis, it's got to be said. But then again, he beat Jatazowski 4-0. And again, had the intensity for a tournament that a lot of people would not regard as, as a big one. He wants to win everything. And, and that's, you know, let's not forget he won five tournaments last season. That
0: mindset is really laudable for me because every tournament is important. If you win a ranking title, it really does mean something. And I don't think he grades them. I think he goes into them, obviously. Definitely the World Championships on a a pedestal, and clearly it should be. But I think he goes into every single tournament with the same approach and the same incentive. He wants to win it to add to his total, and I think that's great. Yeah, to win a, a ranking tournament for the loss of only three frames is superb, and it was one of the best performances of the season. The thing with Higgins, though, was it wasn't just the the amount of frames mm. he lost in the tournament, it was the amount of points he actually uh, restricted his opponents to. That was the, the striking thing. But, yeah, Judd's a winning machine, and I'm sure he'll be back to,
1: to winning way soon. I don't think the Pro Series, I, I haven't seen people in the streets campaigning for it to come back. It was it served a purpose. It got, got, got players playing, it got snooker streamed. It was wallpaper, really. Let's be honest. It was kind of interminable. Mark Williams won it on his birthday. Good luck to him. I mean, listen, best of threes, they're cutthroat. Uh, But well done to him. But I'm going to move on. And now, I don't know what you think, but obviously the World Championship, I think, is everyone's favourite tournament, uh, understandably. I think now, for me, in terms of working on it and watching it, the Tour Championship is probably second in terms of what I enjoy. Um, You get one match a day. You know they're going to be top players. It's a top eight in the world. It's an achievement to get in that event. You feel like you've won something to get in it. And I remember the semi-final that I commentated on the end of Ronnie Sullivan beating Barry Hawkins. That was absolute thriller. He was 9-6 down, one ten nine, 9 And of course, Neil Robertson turned him over in the final five centuries. But it's a terrific event. And when the crowds come back, that tournament can only grow. Well, Barry Hearn has had a lot of good ideas.
0: And I think the Kazoo series, as he's called now, is one of those. It really does reward the Elite players. Everyone, of course, starts on the same playing field in terms of all the world ranking events, so everyone's got the same chance of being there. And the Tour Championship is the reward for season long consistency. So that's great. I think the format is simply superb. And the fact it's two session matches, that really does mean something because, of course, the UK Championship used to be that. It is no more, apart from the final, of course. And the players respond to it. You listen to them, Dave, throughout the season. They say, yeah, the the aim is to be at the Tour Championship. Now, as we're talking here, just before Christmas, Mark Selby, I believe, is 17th on the one-year list. So he's not yet in the Players' Championship. Now, his big goal is to get there, to facilitate getting into the, the Tour Championship. It means an awful lot, an awful lot to these players. And if you think about the history of snooker in the last 20 years... A new, co- a new tournament coming on the scene and making an impact like the Tour Championship. Well, I don't think we we've had one, have we? So, I'm a great fan of it. On ITV, we've got a, a fantastic portfolio of tournaments. The Champion of Champions is something special, but for me,
1: I'm with you. The big one is the Tour. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to football, you know, we'd like the, like the FA Cup is for everyone. It's the plucky underdog and all the rest of it with the big boys. But then you've got something like the Champions League, which is an elite event and there's something to be said in sport for elite events you know you're watching the best of the best I think World Snooker have missed a trick so far in promoting that event I think they could do far better building that up it didn't help that Pro Series finishing the day before we didn't even know who was playing who until the night before that's got to change that's a huge event and certainly just before the World Championship as well you know it's a very important time of the season so hopefully this season that tournament will be given a bit more respect. Uh, Kyron Wilson won the Championship League. He made a record number of centuries, didn't he? 23, I think it was, in the tournament. Uh, and did the, 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 the famed Championship League double. He'd won, the, uh, he'd won the ranking event version and he won the invitation event. And then, of course, we went to the Crucible um, and it ended with crowds and it ended on a high. And it ended with Mark Selby winning his fourth world title. I'm going to say this about that Selby because I've heard people already repeat the idea that he sort of ground his way to victory. He came out in that first match against Kurt Mathlin, swinging at everything He potted everything, he won 10-1 He beat uh, Mark Allen 13-7 m- m- By far the better player in that match He beat Mark Williams 13-3 So to reach the semis he, he, He'd hardly broken sweat Obviously then it did become a dogfight with Bingham And uh, it was a tough match with Murphy as well But you know, he, he again he displayed All the assets you need To win that tournament and I personally Think that won't be his last world title Well I'm with you there over the years, for
0: whatever reason, and maybe it's because the World Championship is watched by more casual fans than the other tournaments, over the years, misconceptions have come out of the Crucible. For me, the classic one is that Graham Dott is a slow player because when he won the, the 2006 Championship, the final was slow against Peter Ebden and it finished late because it started late uh, because of BBC scheduling that I don't think anyone agreed with. So, that's a misconception. He's not a slow player at all, Graham. The other misconception is that Selby, as you say, ground his way to that title and he got some very unwanted criticism. There were a couple of involved sessions against Bingham. Yes, no doubt. But to get there, I thought he played brilliantly and I thought he played very nicely in the final as well. I use this word advisedly. Mark Selby is a great champion. When I was playing snooker, I would have loved to have had his fight, his bottle, his tactical awareness and his desire to win. He's got so many assets that I think every snooker player should aspire to. He's dedicated, he's a good guy, he's a good ambassador for the game. And he played very well overall in that World Championship. And to be honest, I think some of the the
1: criticism and the stick he got was disgraceful. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the thing is, of course, it's a series of matches there, but it's also a series of sessions. And Selby has that knack, and Mark Williams had it as well, or still does, of being able to play not at his best, play bad at times, and come out of a session four each when someone else would le- lose it 6-2. And what that means is if he then plays well in the next session, you know, he's well-placed to actually take control of the match. But as I say, he was very positive. I know he'd been working with Chris Henry. Of course, he'd had a nightmare the year before losing to O'Sullivan in the, in the semis the way he did. Um, but to turn it round, fantastic. He is, you know, we, we talk about crucible players. Um, I don't think anyone would doubt he is suited for that format. It's a test, uh, not just obviously of your game, but of your of your temperament. And he's he's got one of the best there. And we saw as well, of course, Sean Murphy he sort of illustrated the, the, the difference crowds make coming back because they, he, they definitely helped him. He m- turned that match around against Karim Wilson, got them on his side. Uh, there were great scenes at the end, you know, to have the people back. Uh, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in the next few months in, in tournaments because things have changed again. But, you know, it was a real high and a real reminder that, you know, that that tournament stands, stands alone. Yeah, <clears throat> Murphy should be... Pardon <clears throat> Murphy should be applauded, there's no doubt, because
0: he played some wonderfully entertaining snooker and he got the crowd involved and to be honest the way he played was very reminiscent of when he won the championship as a complete outsider in 2005 some of his potting from distance was amazing I thought actually he would gain an awful amount of confidence from the way he played at the world championship but so far this season it's not really translated into the new campaign but I'm sure he's going to be back and uh, Lifting trophies soon What I will say though Just wrapping all of this up Is you talked about The Pro Series Best of three No No no, good Lottery Best of sevens They are meaningful But the long matches The Tour Championship
1: And the World Championship For me That's where it's at I should say For the second half of this You may be able to hear In the background uh, Leicester riders uh, Just warming up And practising As they're entitled to Because we are at their venue Here in Leicester So if you can hear any any baskets dropping as i believe the technical term is phil then that's what it'll be yeah but this podcast will be a slam dunk from here there though. we are there we are well speaking of uh, well speaking of slam dunks as we were dave gilbert now of course he won the first event of the new season in this very venue in fact championship league i think everyone's happy for him he's the opposite of a lot of <laughs> sports people a lot of people are quite full of themselves he's the opposite he's always been self deprecating So it was nice to see someone as grounded as that, been at it as long as that, win a trophy. Yes, and he must have been absolutely sick to the back teeth of
0: people like you and I in the (laughs) media asking him, is he going to win his first ranking event? Does he believe he's the best player, still waiting to win one? All that kind of stuff. Because clearly it was either him or Jack Lazowski, I think, in everyone's mind. So to get that ticked off was fantastic. I felt actually quite emotional for him. I commentated on the final. It was a strange one, actually. It was one of those rare tournaments, and I think Dave would be the first to agree with this, where, in terms of the overall standard in the event, he wasn't the best player. Mark Allen was absolutely brilliant to open the season. He made 10 centuries in that Championship League, but in the final, Gilbert
1: was the better. Yeah, and on the 91, it was uh, Mark Selby was having a party, wasn't he, to celebrate his World Championship and, I think, his his wedding anniversary. and. Dave's wife and everyone; all their friends were at that, so he rocked up with the trophy. That must have been great walking in with that. And I noticed on sort of social media for a good two weeks afterwards, he, he seemed to be with the trophy all the time. It obviously meant a lot to him. And of course, then everyone was back here at the Morning Side for the British Open, first staging since 2004. Um, you know, there was controversy about the length of matches. Obviously, they were very short early on, but it seemed to me a, a good sort of summer tournament that for for Suka fans. It was uh, you know a lot of different matches, a lot of different faces. And a, a, an old face, I think we can say, in terms of Mark Williams as the winner. Well, he kept talking Danny's chances as always
0: being very self-deprecating. I'm just here to win a match, win a match, win a match. But in the end, he ended up lifting the trophy. He played very well as well to do so. Uh, pulled away from four each with Gary Wilson in the final to win 6-4. Really, that tournament was all about the class of 92. Yes, Williams winning it, but also... With his first shot, literally his first
1: shot, John Higgins making a 147. That was a remarkable effort. Yeah, and I think also just on the format, I mean, Mark Williams should have been beaten at least three times probably along the way. But just shows you whatever the format, you've got to get over the line. And people couldn't uh, against him. Um, and that's the case whether it's best of five, best of nine, best of 11, best of 19, best of whatever. It's always the same old story. Uh, we had then quite a long gap because, of course, the Turkish Masters were supposed to be on. Uh, it wasn't. It'll be on later in March, of course. Uh, there was sort of endless qualifying, which, which did seem endless. But we eventually ended up in Belfast. Uh, and, well, what a story this was. Mark Allen on home soil, Uh, a great match with John Higgins, first and foremost, regardless of where they were and what it meant to Mark, a great match, but just a great story, you know, uh, a a real kind of, you could see what it meant to him, it wasn't just, I've won a tournament, I've won it here in the streets where I grew up. Yeah, Mark Allen is an absolutely
0: tremendous player, he's got terrific touch, he's a a prolific scorer, and I believe he could win any tournament he enters. The one tournament I always thought he might struggle to win was the Northern Ireland Open, purely and Mm. simply because, as you say, it meant so much to him. There have been occasions in the past where he's gone into matches against significantly lower-ranked players, and he looked consumed with nerves because he's playing in front of his own family and friends. And I thought that could be a barrier that might be difficult to negotiate. But in that tournament, wow, as you say, what a story. Commiserations, though, to John Higgins. He did play very, very well. And everyone recalls the black he missed off the spot. Now, you think, in its terminology, black off its spot. But it wasn't an easy ball. The cue ball was very close to the right-hand side cushion as you're looking at the table on your TV screens. And he actually caught it pretty well. It just wobbled in the jaws. Now, had that black gone, he would probably have won, and the whole narrative of the season would have been rewritten. But congratulations to, to Mark Allen to win there, under so much, well,
1: self-imposed pressure, was a, a great achievement. And, of course, Higgins had the same uh, unfortunate reversal, didn't he, against Neil Robertson? 8-6 up, lost 9-8 in the English Open final at Milton Keynes. I mean, there's no disgrace losing to Neil Robertson over any distance, but I, I suppose the, the disappointment for John, and it was clear afterwards, is multiplied by the fact he'd lost in the, in the previous final as well. Yes, and, you know, he is a winner, He's used to
0: winning, and when you're used to lifting trophies and doing what you want to do, when you suffer disappointment, it becomes all the more acute. Obviously, if he'd been to a load of finals and not won many of them, then it becomes, well, not customary, but it's easier to take. I think, though, with Robertson, you have to say now, and it's been this for a while, the finest player ever to come out of a country other than the UK and Republic of Ireland. I mean, what a career record he's putting together. And you just know with his abilities, with his dedication, with his cue action, with his scoring, you know
1: that he's going to significantly add to the the total of titles he's already won. Yeah, although, and we'll come back to this later, it's interesting, and this ties into our last event, which we'll come to. Ronnie O'Sullivan um, was doing the punditry. If you watch on the Eurosport app, you can listen to Ronnie and Jimmy between frames, giving their opinions. And of course, Robertson, got the lead in that final, and then fell behind. Um, and he said, Ronnie said, that he feels Neil sometimes isn't clinical enough when he's in front. Now, of course, we'll come back to that because that's significant later on. But in the meantime, of course, we went to Bolton. Now, this was a new venue for the Champion of Champions. Um, a new look for it as well, new clothing, and they tried a few innovations as well. Uh, and what was also new was that Judge Trump won it. Now, he'd always felt kind of like Champion of Champions He's won so many tournaments, but finally actually won the t- tournament. Yeah. What I'll remember about the Champion of Champions, I thought the
0: venue was a lot better than I thought it might be. The crowds were really good. The atmosphere was terrific. And I think the whole ethos of the tournament is just special. What I'll remember about Judge Trump's victory there was, yes, of course, he, he built brakes. He knocked in wonderful pots. But some of these safety play and tactical nous in the crunch in important matches was right, right up there with the very best.
1: That's what I'll remember, my abiding memory of that tournament. Yeah, he's learned that game, for sure. And, um, okay, he hasn't sort of come to life, particularly in the other events this season, but... I think I know that he wanted to win that one. He had some, he had some input into actually the sort of the cosmetics of it, and he wanted to change things up. It wasn't all successful that, but I mean, Emily came on. Emily Fraser from Matchroom Multisport came on the podcast and said that she said, "Listen, we're going to go back, look at what worked, look at what didn't work, and next year we'll come back and, and make the improvements." And you, you've got to respect that. Uh, of course, Higgins' third final in a row that he didn't win. He took this one a little bit better though because it was ten four, and uh, you know he he wasn't like he had a sort of chance to win it at the end. UK Championship. Um, You know, we've almost saved the best for last, haven't we? Because this was a remarkable uh, tournament. Remarkable story. Xiao Jing Tong. player that, you know, snooker folk had known about. The wider public probably hadn't. But they certainly have taken to him. Yeah, I did his match against
0: Peter Lyons. I think it was in the last 16. And although he won that match, at no point did I think he's going to go on and win this tournament. Because he'd made an awful lot of mistakes. Yes, there was brilliance intermingled in there. But he'd made a lot of mistakes. But as the tournament went on, he became better and better and better. And, of course, he came up against Luca Brussel in the final. Now, Brussel in my mind, had produced his finest single performance in the semi-finals. He was absolutely outstanding. He played better in that match than at any time when he won in China, his first ranking event. And I thought Brussel was probably just shading it for favoritism. But Zhao in the final, it was as though he didn't fully comprehend the significance and the magnitude
1: of what he was trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, just on the Bricell semi-final against Karen Wilson, I mean, that's as good as anyone can play. That's one of the performances of the whole year, without question. But it's, it's interesting, going into the final, you almost feel maybe he would have been better off playing, actually, a big hitter and be the underdog, because he was maybe even slight favourite going in the way he played, and that, that brings its own pressure. It's a big title. Uh, but you've got to credit Zhao, and it's great to see a new, a new face. We started the year with a young Chinese player, Yang Bingtao, winning the Masters. We've ended it with one winning, uh, Zhao, winning the, the UK Championship. But credit to Luca, because then, of course, he went to Trandidno, that well-known Scottish city, for the Scottish Open. Um, not easy to sort of pick yourself up. The UK's a long event. It's two weeks. And, uh, you know, and give it the same focus. But he did, and he won it. Yeah, he'd won a qualifying match previously, so that did give him a slight
0: amount of time to get over what had happened in York, but it was only a a very small period to to readjust. Then in the last 64, he beat Joe Perry. Perry missed some chances to get over the line. He missed three pinks in that match. And then, of course, he's involved in the tournament. York slowly recedes from his memory, or at least the, the, the disappointment is diluted, gets involved in another event, and... Yeah, I think it was tremendous he won that. I mean, when you think about it, Dave, my big worry in snooker over the last two or three years, and I think you share this as well, has been the fact that we've not had any young players coming through. You've even had the ridiculousness of certain people in the media describing, you know, 28 and 29-year-olds as young players when you consider that people like John Higgins and Ronnie O'Sullivan were established stars by the age of 23, 24, maybe even younger than that. So... I think the big worry I had about snooker was no-one was coming through to win events. And back-to-back, back, you had a 24-year-old and a 26-year-old. Now, that's great in itself, but then there's the geographical significance. A massive market, i.e. continental Europe with Luca, and a massive market, perhaps the biggest of all, the People's Republic of China with Xiao Zintong. So from a, a snooker growth perspective,
1: that was Nirvana. I think that's why, like, we'll come to the last event now, but... If you look at the winners this season, it's actually been perfect in terms of the different narratives. You've got Dave Gilbert who's been I suppose he was a journeyman for a while, who's broken through as a winner. You've got Mark Williams, who's a very popular sort of old old timer, who you know everyone likes and he's very relatable, he's won one. Mark Allen's won on his home soil. You've got Neil Robertson, who's got this great backstory coming from Australia, you know, got married in the summer, all the rest of it, he's won one. Judd Trump, who's the talisman at the moment, he's won one. We've got a new Chinese player who's won one, a young Belgian from Continental Europe has won one. And then Last tournament of the all we've got the biggest name in the sport back in the winner's enclosure, Ronnie O'Sullivan, who, uh, uh, you know, for most of that final was hanging on with Neil Robertson, but at the end produced an extraordinary display of snooker to win it. Well, for most of the tournament,
0: it actually reminded me a lot of a tournament that O'Sullivan, in his much younger days, lost when he was famously beaten by Steve Davis in the Masters final from well in front O'Sullivan was. Davis produced... His best snooker of that event, by far his best snooker of that event, right at the end to win. And that's exactly what happened with with Ronnie. 7-5 down at the last interval, I walked into the commentary box and he was sitting backstage alone with his thoughts, thinking what to do. He definitely changed his uh, approach, his cue action, his address, his stance even. I don't know what happened, but he, he found something. And then, you know, those five frames he won from 7-5 down, took 50 minutes to win. It was really vintage stuff from O'Sullivan and I think it could lead to much better things in the new year. I think he was definitely lacking in confidence. He'd lost five consecutive finals before that and half a dozen finals on the trot, O'Sullivan losing, that would have been incomprehensible. But now he's, he's got the monkey off his back.
1: He has this strategy, and, and it's something that he feels works for him, which is to tell everybody that he doesn't care and it's a holiday and I'm just having fun. Now, he's entitled to say that if he thinks it's a strategy that works. If anyone genuinely believes it, then you know, they need a reality check. I mean, we saw that last frame of the afternoon when he played on for the two snookers. You know, if you don't care, you don't do that. Um, and these competitive juices you know, got flowing at the end, but i go back to what I said earlier about what he said about Neil Robertson. Uh, that is one that got away for him. You know, he was in control. He should have been 6 to up in the afternoon. He was by far the better player. Um, so while we credit Ronnie, you know, Neil, if he looks back on that, I think we'll be very disappointed.
0: Very disappointed. It really was one that got away. You know, you can trace it right back to the third frame. He missed a very simple red to the green pocket when he was on the verge of leading 3-0. Lots of other chances went astray. Everyone remembers, of course, and quite rightly, the eighth frame when O'Sullivan got those two absolutely snorting snookers and then cleared up with 39 to win He's on the black. Then it's 7-5, you think, well, okay, Robertson might have weathered the storm. But, of course, there's always that possibility. I actually went into the commentary box and said, when Ronnie O'Sullivan's 7-5 down in a race to 10, if you think about it, he could be an hour away from victory. And I wasn't far off. Hmm. I didn't really believe it when I said it, to be honest. But I thought it was worth noting, because in the past he's done this to many other opponents, And I think it's absolutely fantastic for Snooker that he did this. Look at the viewing figures on RTV4, they were really, really good. And as you say, it was just one more really
1: good story in a whole line of them. Yeah, this is the thing, it's it's not just the Snooker which has been excellent all year, it's the different narratives and the different personalities that people... Can latch on and I think for that reason the game's in a very good state But let's briefly look ahead to next year You know we live in a time of uncertainty We can't really predict for sure what's going to happen We don't know for example about the German events Where they're going to be We don't know if there's going to be crowds early on in the year At the British events We just don't know But I guess we could say what we hope for I guess what we hope for certainly is we get back to China uh, You know we miss those big events Big money tournaments And a very vibrant market for snooker And uh, we hope I suppose things just kind of get back to normal again Yeah, with regards to China
0: specifically, I think the best chance over there, from the way I'm looking at it, purely logistically, the best chance might well be the Shanghai Masters, which is an invitation event, very prestigious, very lucrative. I think it's 24 players, and a lot of those players are Chinese. So you wouldn't have a great overseas influx. I think Shanghai is a real sporting hub over there. And it might be easier as the first event back to put that on. I certainly don't know the the ins and outs of snooker politics. You'd have to ask Jason Ferguson about that. But, yeah, it would be great to get back there. Of course it would. One real positive is that when we went into the first lockdown back in 2020, we didn't know what was going to happen with anything in the world, let alone the small matter of snooker. Now I think we do know that at the very worst, these events will take place, even if it is behind closed doors. So snooker followers will be able to watch on TV. And I think that's a,
1: a crumb of comfort, don't you, Dave? Oh, totally, yeah. No, the the, the show will continue. It's just we, in what sort of way it continues. Uh, finally, then, let's just wild prediction. Who's going to be world champion in 2022? OK, well, I'm going to say someone we've
0: talked about. Mind you, we've talked about everybody. Since we're <laughs> a pretty wide yeah, range yeah. of people. I think Neil Robertson will be really motivated to prove everyone wrong that he's got this thing about the Crucible, he can't get over it. I think he'll go into that massively well prepared and I think he's got a great chance, I really do. But, you know, Judd Trump, Mark Selby, Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins, Kyron Wilson, he's tailor-made for the Crucible. There are so many potential winners,
1: but I will say, Neil Robertson. Well, my... I've got two. One, who I, I fancy to do well this year, not necessarily win it, but go a long way, Yam Bing because I think he's got the right sort of mentality for the crucible but i'm going to stick my neck out uh, in terms of the winner and i'm gonna go for mark selby <laughs> so get your money on get your money on mark selby um we're members of the sports social network check out their other podcasts you can email us snooker scene podcast at mail.com at snooker scene podcast at com. we've got through 2021 it's been an enjoyable year on the snooker tour and i'm sure next year will be as well and let's hope as i say we have crowds and we have uh, plenty of tournaments and plenty of different destinations as well for now though phil happy new year to you and indeed to all listeners
0: happy new year to you dave and thanks for listening in and continue to do so please in 2022 dave hendon here does a fantastic job not just on this podcast in providing statistics
1: for all of us when we're in the commentary box throughout the year and honestly they are invaluable well that's your amazon voucher coming your way thank you for that and we'll see you next year sports social podcast network